This episode briefly discusses sexual assault. Welcome to Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast. We have another great guest on for you guys today. Hey, Dre. And you know what? I was, um, I'm part of a board called the Tampa Heights Junior Civic Association. And about a month and a half ago, we had a breakfast fundraiser. And several of us board members were there. And what we had to do is sit down at different tables so we could meet the people and speak with different representatives who came to our event. Well, I had the most fortunate opportunity of selecting the best table in the breakfast luncheon because I had the pleasure of sitting next to Tasha Curry. And she's on our podcast this morning, and I'm so happy to have Tasha here. Tasha, before we begin, I'm going to read your bio. It was just fascinating talking to her during this fundraiser, but Tasha is a spokeswoman, spokesmodel turned advocate. Tasha was on the ground when big hitters like Coke Zero and Gillette Venus dropped. She's a quick study on how to best showcase a legendary brand, but prefers to champion the underdog, the brands that aren't so visible. A few short stints in the local newsroom reminded her that her voice holds that power. As an adoptee herself, she made a sharp turn towards child welfare and spent years speaking on behalf of hundreds of kids in need. After jumping the ranks into several administrative teams, she not only saw the best and the worst of public system management in a top three market, but helped to raise millions for a variety of causes. Along the way, she was published in a small international femme forward anthology to speak her own truth on trauma-informed healing. Currently, she's a PR consultant for community-centric nonprofits. Outside the office, Ms. Curry is a divorced single mom of three kids. She recently moved from the American Midwest to the Deep South. She writes weekly about her wins and many losses, navigating the social constructs we call life for her virtual colleagues on LinkedIn. She wishes she had more time to hike, but now is happy to be considered a guest on the Dread Smile. We are happy to have you on the guest on the Dread Smile. <laughs> That was a lovely introduction. Thanks, Smiley. <laughs> oh, well, no, please. I, I, there was so much there. I don't know when to begin, but I, I want to jump right to the heart of yeah. it. What is a fem, a fem forward anthology? That's, oh. That sounds so powerful. Ooh, and it was. It was. It's so powerful that you can't eat it all in a week, right? You can't, you can't take this anthology, right? All of these pages, all of these women's stories and just rush through it in a day. It's not one of those reads. What it is, is it's a collection of stories of women all across the globe who have connected with this little publisher, Girl God Books, right? Okay. It says everything in the name. It is powerful. Gods, goddesses, um, us, emulating from a place where we're sharing our stories, um, our triumphs, our horrors, and really we're talking about our trauma, right? Things perpetuated as women in the world today and throughout time and history and how it impacted us. And we are sharing our words in terms of allowing ourselves to heal. And I hope um, that at some point in the future for whatever women are reading it, and some have already reached out and been like, you're so brave. And I'm like, or stupid, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I've, I've shared this piece. It was actually a poem, a two page poem prose 
um, about assault that I faced when I was around 19 years old. And it was devastating to go through and just have that at the brink of my college career be how I enter the world post-teenagehood, right? And it stuck with me for a really long time. As I started to process my feelings for that as a woman in this position, um, I got the words out on paper through many years of therapy, but at the same time through my own way in order to put those words somewhere and let them be there. Um, I had been following Girl God books for a few years and knew that I wanted to be published in one of their pieces. Just knew it. And it was about two years and there was a request for submission for, you know, healing the patriarchal uh, trauma. Um, and I thought, oh God, this is it. And the piece that I'm going to choose is the piece that I likely would not put anywhere. Um, it's very private. It's, it's intimate. It's not something that people talk about. It's crazy taboo. Um, sexual assault probably happens to anywhere between one and two out of four women across the globe. And people still can barely say the words. So I was like, this is it. This is the piece I'm putting in there. And it found itself at the end of the first chapter. So I helped to open the book. And um, yeah, it was a powerful experience. I still cannot even believe I am published, Smiling and Dre. It, it still blows my mind sometimes. Well, congratulations. And thanks for sharing the, your bravery and courage for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. As, as a father of a daughter, that's uh, a nightmare. It's, it's, and, and what would you recommend for, for fathers who have young, young girls who've been protected all their lives and they're getting ready to go out into this world of crazy college life where there's alcohol, there's young people, there's testosterone. It's like, that's, that's one of my biggest nightmares. It's like, do I teach her how to shoot a gun? Do I put her in boxing? I, I've opted, I, I've opted for security force. I've, I've hired five guys with go, five guys with AR-15s to follow her everywhere she goes. <laughs> <laughs> what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a good move? Yes, no. What do you think? <laughs> here's, here's the thing. You know, I have discussions about this all the time with my kids, not just issues of social impact and social change, how we regulate ourselves emotionally. I have one son and two daughters. Daughters, right? 14, 9, and 3. So I've got the span. And we have these discussions all the time. The discussions weren't always had in my household, right? I grew up in a Catholic household, uh, very conventional, very traditional. These discussions were not had. I find as a parent, it is more powerful to have these discussions so that you're the first person who's giving them the opportunity to ask questions and all the things that they may not feel empowered enough to ask their friends, but have the discussions, right? Have the discussion not only of how unthoughtful and scary and terrifying the world can be, but also how powerful they are, right? Their ability to make decisions that they at any point in time have an opportunity to say yes, to say no, even if they feel that they are out of control of the situation, they always have an opportunity to say yes to how they manage it, how they respond. So we have talked about um, the other day, I was actually talking with my son um, because I was, I'm considering, considering starting my own business. Okay. And I was talking to him about how not too long ago, back in the seventies, women weren't even allowed to have bank accounts, right? We just weren't. Can you imagine like, 
I, I wouldn't have been able to to even get a divorce back in the 70s, um, let alone now with no means to actually post myself up somewhere or make the drive across country, right? Without just cash in my pocket. Um, and the look on my son's face, like, wow, what? Um, those aren't things that he's talking about in school right now, but does he need to know? Yeah. And does he need to understand how these things can really affect people? Absolutely. So having the discussion with your children, especially your girls is ginormous. You can, Dre, you can put the security team around her all you want. Thank you, thank you. You can send, right, you can set her up in college yeah. in a penthouse somewhere and keep the gates up. But um, it, it, like Rapunzel, she's going to let that hair down. And at some point, that's right. she's going to decide she's ready to go out, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and um, unfortunately, um, you know, my situation wasn't just a single sexual or it was actually gang rape. Um, and again, that's another word that you can't necessarily say all of the time. And, they, and you may have to bleep this out. I know this is a clean show, but, but, um, you know, it was a situation that shouldn't have happened. And um, situations like that are going to happen, not necessarily sexual assault, but where they run into things that they, they don't have control over, but they will have control over how they respond to it and how empowered they feel to do something about it. When I was that age, 19, I was not empowered to do anything about it. I kind of got paralyzed in that trauma, right? Because we all have a response. We can um, fight, flight, uh, faint, right? That's that's one thing that can happen or like fawn, right? And unfortunately, my response during that time was fawn. It was a blackout. Um, so after that, I didn't feel like I had enough in order to stand up for myself or ask the questions that I needed to or say the things that I needed to. Um, it wasn't until, say, 10 years later that I felt like, oh, man, I've, I've got the pieces now. And what I had left to do with it was to write this piece and put those words on paper. Um, and to be honest, it may make sense. I don't know what age your, your daughters are, but give them the anthology. Let them read those stories. Um, because even if they haven't faced some of the stories that the women in the anthology have, what they're going to feel is empowered. What they're going to feel is no matter what comes my way, I'm going to make it through and I'm going to be fine because I have the choice to make another step after whatever happens goes down. I love that. I love that. There's so many layers to everything you've shared. Um, I've heard yeah. so many people say that, you know, art can be therapeutic. Um, clearly it has been in your case. For the writing that you published, where can our listeners, those viewing this podcast as well, where can they find that? Sure. I think I had put it on, um, well, there's a couple places. First, LinkedIn. Um, I write weekly. Um, I love to share my stories um, about my kiddos, about myself. Um, you know, hopefully I can start to get on more hikes and take you all with me out in the great area of Tampa, which is just stunning. Um, and second, girlgodbooks.com, right, yeah. is to go and check out that anthology. Um, it's called Remembering with Goddess, right? Becoming a, a member of a, like a women's tribal group, right? Sticking, sticking together and sharing our stories with our unique experiences. Remembering with Goddess, absolutely check it out. They have several that come out each year. I am hoping to head into another one of their anthologies or books. They also publish art with it, which is breathtaking and unique. 
Um, so those would be two wonderful places to to go check out my work and read some of my stories too. So Love it. I have written about my family, okay. um, both new and old as well, mm-hmm. and even have a story in there about my ex-husband. Okay. So I've thought about also writing about my dating life, but shh, maybe we'll... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you, you definitely piqued my curiosity, that's for sure. Whenever it comes out, I'd love to read about it. So, so, nice, nice. so let's, let's talk about um, your role as it relates to being a spokesmodel for major brands. How did you get into that? Yes. And then later oh. you transitioned into representing those underrepresented causes. Yes. Yes. Tell me about Ooh. that. Great story. Um, when I was in high school, okay, I was a very visible person. I did theater, I did dance, I sang, um, and found myself in the pageant world. Okay, I was that person. Okay, um, Miss Illinois Team U.S. Beauties, two thousand one. Nice to meet you, Drake. <laughs> nice to meet you. And- <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and- <laughs> And, and I ended up, of course, being that visible in a top three market in Chicago. So um, I would go into Chicago and do acting classes and um, all sorts of things in order to help my um, odds participating in this very competitive space. And I ended up linking up with a woman, Miss um, Tony Sitka, who owned a talent management company in Chicago. And she was like, well, I need you. Um, and as I started to do little jobs. So there were things like being a secret shopper Mm. for Burger King. Um, One of the first jobs I had was shaving my legs for Gillette Venus. This was when um, the sensitive one came out. This was when it first dropped. And I went down to a the state fair in Illinois in order to basically show people how it worked, right? How great a job it does. Um, Totally wild, but absolutely worked. It's a ginormous hit now. Um, I still use it, by the way. Okay. And as I started to get into college, uh, that gal, who was an absolute boss, basically said to me, look, you're doing things here that some of the other girls aren't doing. You know, I'm really proud of you. Um, I think I worked with her for about a good four or five years um, throughout not just my college career and internship career, but also time with her. Got to work with, uh, yeah, like big brands like Coca-Cola. She said, look, you're doing things that the other gals and other guys aren't doing. Number one, I'd like to put you in charge of the girls, wow. pay you a little bit more because I know you got college bills. I was like, yes, please. <laughs> and <laughs> number two, I think it was my third year of school. She said, look, I had a really big name reach out to me and they're doing a uh, regional campaign um, for caulk. For caulk, yes. For yeah. <laughs> and, 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 okay. Okay. For caulk. Yeah. So I didn't hear that correctly. Okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, yes. okay. <laughs> yes. I was like, what? Okay. You know, I mean, good Good thing my dad was pretty handy. I knew exactly what it yeah. was. I was like, this is really random. Yeah. But also, General Electric, GE, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So she got me hooked up with this, right? She got me hooked up with this great opportunity. I was partnered up with this blonde from down south who was getting her MBA. Um, and we traveled the Midwest selling cock, right? Market research, Um I was out there in front of the ace showing people how to uh, uh, basically follow, make a sharp line, right? Which I can still do. I, I caught my, my own bathroom. That's a skill, by the month. way. Some people that listening, it is a some skill. people listening may not realize mm-hmm. that it is a skill. Yeah. 
it is a skill. Yeah. You've got to chase yeah. it, right? Yeah. You've got to chase it. You've got to be detail yep. oriented, not too much, not too right. little. Oh yeah. Right. It was it was a great time. It was a wonderful experience. Absolutely wonderful company to work for. But I also didn't feel that passion, right? Because initially when I went off to school, I said I was going to be uh, in broadcast. That's that's what I went for, guys, outside of, of all of this. I said, I, I would like to be in a place where I'm sharing information with people, big platform. And I was going to be the next Oprah, okay? Mm. That, was, that was what I was going to do. Okay. So all of this was just background noise, okay. okay? Just opportunities to get out into the world, to travel a little bit, to leave the Midwest and connect and network with people. Um, and so I left school. I actually got invited back to General Electric for another semester, another internship semester. And at the time, I had a very, very close friend of mine who was dancing for Disney down here in Orlando. And he invited me to um, and was a referral source for me for the college program. He said, come on down here. You got to check this out. Forget whatever you're doing. You got to come do this. Um, now, me being a Disney fan, I was like, Pfft. Say less. I'm on my way. Uh, what do you mean they've got a college program? What are we doing? I'm in. You know, I went down and I spent like a week with him because he's like, come and come and check it out. He did their stage shows. He um, he uh, did some of their cruise lines. Uh, he was actually he got a Disney Legacy Award actually wow. some years later because he was with the company for a very very wow. long time. And he invited me down for a week and said look, come, come stay here and hang out. And I hung out in the house where the gal who plays Cinderella and Pocahontas lived. Wow. It was magical. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, right, right. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm coming. So, you know, I took a job, a short stint, and I felt like this was a fantastic way to get involved or match up with uh, like an ABC affiliate, right? I had previously done a little bit of work in radio um, and some reporting before for a CBS affiliate, a, a local uh uh, radio, like indie radio talk station. I thought this, this could be great. This could be the move. That's it. Um, and I did, I actually ended up leaving the program early because I got a role, uh, with an ABC affiliate in Orlando, um, that a previous mentor that I had when I was in college out in Champaign, Illinois, she worked there as well. So I felt like, ugh, I, I hear you. I hear you universe. Let me, let me go. Um, and it was a nice little stint. I think I made it to prime time in like six months. Um, just right. Just understanding. And, and this was associate producing. I wasn't reporting yet. I wasn't anchoring. Um, but I was allowing myself to really get involved with the working of things. It was a it was a big market, not as giant as Chicago, but it worked. Um, and when I got there, I kind of said, gosh, I don't I don't live and breathe news like these folks around me. Right. Like I don't I don't live and breathe news, but there's something here that I'm breathing and. And I said to myself, man, I just came from a really large market and I see all of these issues going on, right? This was, this was when red light cameras came out. I mean, there was a lot of fuss happening in these local newsrooms. Mm -hmm. they're, they're super busy. They're super high achieving folks. I think I was writing 30 stories an hour. And granted, they weren't ginormous stories. Some of them were five sentences with a sound bite and I passed it off to graphics, right? But yeah, there was a lot of information coming through and I got a view of the community and the chaos in the community. And I was reminded of not only my own experiences of chaos or trauma, but some of the environments that I had been around just growing up outside of Chicagoland, Illinois. And I felt like I'm not in the right spot right now. I'm not in the right spot. It's time to move on to something else. And I decided to go back home, 
go back outside sh Chicago land. And lo and behold, the organization that I was adopted from was hiring. And uh, yeah, totally ran. I wasn't even looking for that type of work. I wasn't even going to get into social services. Yes, I had a degree in sociology. It was all really to just understand the dynamics of communities, right? Um, and how we grow and we change and we work together. And it turns out they were hiring and here I was, a social worker, totally the opposite of being in sales, marketing, um, spokes modeling, uh, beauty pageants. What am I doing here? But I learned so much and I had the opportunity to, you know, as said in my bio, to come from a, as an adoptee, come from alternative family and be a part of trying to make this work for other kids. And also all of these other issues, because in foster care, it's, it's, it's a kitchen sink of all the things, right? It's not just a mental health organization. It's not just, um, you know, re-entry um, uh, agency. It's, it's all of those things in order to try to reunite families with one another or make sure that kiddos have an appropriate place to be in the meantime. Um, and about halfway through that experience, um, at the time, Illinois was getting rid of its, you could have, when I started, to preface this, when I started, Illinois did not allow LGBTQIA um, parents or families to foster and adopt, right? It was like a say nothing, that sort of thing. All of a sudden, the law changed. And now you had to. And at the time I was working for, it was called Catholic Charities. It got absorbed by another organization, but everybody dropped their contract. Um, uh, a lot of the organizations said, no, we're not going to do that. And everybody dropped their contracts. A little organization down in mid-Illinois picked up all of these contracts. And all of a sudden, this organization was going to become the third largest in the entire state. And it's a ginormous state. At that point, they came to me and said, Tasha, we need your skills. We've got rebranding going on. We need some more grants money. We need to remarket. Uh, we got all these things. Can you please come and do it? Come help. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. There, there, was like a, there was like a fire that was lit underneath me yeah. where I was like, okay, this is going somewhere. Yeah. You need you need me? You need my skills right here? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do this. And and that's what I did, right? Um, you know, I had I had always been an advocate of attempting to provide more for these kids mm. than the state subsidies did, than the you know overworked um, their overworked case managers could, right? How how do we actually support this this drowning initiative, right? Um, and at that point, I said, okay, well that's it. Let's get on the ground. And I was able to find some seed funding for the program. Yeah. I was able to help with a rebrand. Got out there, talked to news media outlets, brought in some more funding. Um, tried to mesh up the more northern regions with the southern regions so that we were working better as a team. And of course, put a staff volunteer team together um, because it was. And as you know, for nonprofits, Smiley. You wear a ton of hats when you work in a nonprofit. Sure. So you're not just one job, you're three, yeah. right? So I was marketing, yeah. development, grant writer, fundraiser, and still had a small caseload at the time wow. as well for some families who knew me very well. And I mean, you know, I could do the job with the, my hands behind my back. And I had already settled them in, but um, to stay connected to why I was doing what I was doing. And at that point, I had success and I said, you know what? 
I belong in a development team, one that doesn't exist here. Mm. Let me open myself up to that, which is when I landed at the homeless shelter, uh-huh. which is, yeah, yeah. And they had a team kind of designed like the one I had made in my head in terms of what I felt like it would really look like to have an effective team to provide for uh, an organization like that. And from there, it just spiraled till I found myself in a large organization, Lori Children's Hospital in Chicago. And um, post-divorce was like, no better time to move now than heading down to Tampa and see if I can find a large platform too. (laughs) Um, And, (laughs) you know, I I ended up in this place and and at that point kind of said to myself, um, I have found a, a larger platform. However where I was living at the time, I said, okay, I could give my kids uh, a life similar to the one that I had, but I also saw myself moving closer into inner city Chicago. And that was not the life that I wanted for my kids as a newly single head of household Mm. for four. Um, And I said, let me see if I can find kind of a smaller, more Southern town and just take what I do and who I know and go build something new. And what's next is probably there. And lo and behold, here I am. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So, Tasha, a couple of things stand out to me when I listen to your story, your journey. One is that you definitely don't turn down a challenge. You tend to have a extensive network and you listen to the signs, you read the tea leaves and move in the direction that you've, that you're being called to move in. Um, and you know, and you really, you realize, you know, there's that story about the, the guy in the boat and God sends him a life raft. No, 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 no. God. Someone else comes by, jump, I'll, I'll save you. You know, he's, he's in a sinking boat. And another guy comes by and goes, I'll save you. Jump, jump. No, no, no. God's got me. All, all these signs are coming his way, but he's like, for you, it's, you know, these, these, these signs are coming your way. You're like, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm game. I'm all in. Um, yes. that's one, one thing that I heard in your, in your journey. Another is that. There's a sub story here. And I wonder, and you can answer this, obviously, you know, being an adoptee, you know, some of the things you were involved in, you believe that your being an adoptee helped fuel how passionate you were in helping the community in the different ways you did. So talk to me about the part you being an adoptee played in that. Absolutely. Gosh, it's one of my favorite topics, Dre, because it's not just myself who was adopted. My adoptive mother was also adopted, left on a doorstep back after the baby boom. Um, And I have a ton of cousins who are adopted. So I've got Korean cousins, Native American cousins, Mexican cousins. There's a whole gamut here. Mm. So it wasn't just my own adoption. It was seeing this alternate family, this community, quote, quote, unquote, being created out of nothing but, like you said, reading the tea leaves and having a sign and saying, hey, this is what it's going to be because because this is where I'm at. Um, being an adoptee, especially, um, I think I grew up about 35, 40 miles outside of Chicago, right? So the burbs, suburban princess here. Um, and a lot of the segregation that happened in inner city Chicago, right? It being so segregated because it is, right? That these spaces, the lines just a lot of them never crossed, even though it's 2024. That found its way out to the suburbs as well. Um, so I was adopted interracially. So there was this whole 
identity crisis that you deal with. There's this these issues of DEI that existed before DEI existed, um, you know, and um, my parents deciding to even take that on, not just me as an interracial adoptee, but my younger sister, who was also interracial adoptee, and my older brother, who was interracial adoptee, non-biological, but they were totally ahead of their time, right? Um, and just watching the struggles that we went through. I mean, I remember walking into a Wendy's, I mustn't have been any older than like nine, okay? And the gal who was up front, now why we were being seated seated at Wendy's in the early 90s, like there was a hostess, like this was a club. I don't I don't know. But but my, but my memory, okay, this is nine-year-old memory. And I remember just somebody coming, whatever they were doing, they were like, oh, hey, welcome. She must have been new. But she was trying to seat us kids separate from my parents, okay? We were all young. And I'm thinking like, what is what is going on here? Um, we, were, we were kids um, and just feeling like, oh man, there's a split that's evident right up front. Mm. And watching how people manage that and the questions that people had, I was always so curious about how, why that's important, um, how we really relate to each other, what that means about what it says about us and the people that were around. And yeah, that curiosity, it never died. And I'm glad it didn't, you know, I, my father, um, he's a computer engineer, right? Most curious dude you'll ever meet and was a teacher first and foremost. That's what he was. He was a teacher. So he was a uh, high school and computer science teacher. And during summers, he would actually go and work at Fermilab, right? He was invited to go work. So he did initial work on, um, as IBM was becoming Mac, he actually created the menu for the Mac operating system way back in the day, like late sixties. Okay. Um, and he was always crazy curious. He had his degree in physics as well. So he would always say stuff like, um, it may be improbable, but it's not impossible. Mm. Like that, that's, that's what I grew up with. Okay. On top of all <laughs> of, you know, um, looking different than my peers, I'd say maybe mm, 1% of my, my, um, suburb was, uh, of color black, Asian, any of that, really. Um, and, you know, just having someone who always encouraged me to challenge the status quo and to ask questions. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's a mix of being an adoptee, um, having parents who, you know, now looking back, were way ahead of their time. Of course, growing up was like, you guys are old, you're, you know, um, but way ahead of their time. Um, and also growing up outside of a larger city, most of America, as you guys know, is rural, right? I mean, it, it is something like 70% of America is rural. Um, and just being able to see these dynamics in play around a lot of other people um, gave me a really interesting vantage point and, and viewpoint. And, you know, I want to be able to use that. It's almost like my own little privilege, right, of being able to see that view from that space and take what I've learned from that and, and spread it. There's, I can't hold it in, right? Um, so I've questioned myself a ton along the way. What am I doing here? Why am I doing this work? What does the impact look like? And it was hard to see that in um, child welfare. You know, it is a case management, social work. It's a, it's a very thankless job and it should be. It's private, it's confidential, it's people's lives. Um, but as I started to get in the world of grant writing 
and fundraising and I got the opportunity to start to tell these stories, I just realized, gosh, I'm supposed to tell these stories. Love it. And and yeah, and and I don't know what that means or where it's going, but yep, like like you said, Dre, I'm just reading the tea leaves and saying that's what that's what I'm supposed to do. Love it. Yeah. From the from the uh, being an adoptee, have you ever dabbled into Ancestry.com or do you find how does that work with the adoptee relationships and rules and someone just hijacks it and goes find their DNA and find their biologicals? Oh, my gosh. Does that happen? often? There could be a whole other show about this. OK, if you haven't figured out now, I'm a talker. That's what I do. This is going to have to be a three hour morning show. Seriously, Yes, I have absolutely dabbled in ancestry. I've actually found family, Smiley and Dre. Um, so not only did I find out with my own little search as I was working at the agency, uh, probably about a year in, my birth mother had left little notes for me. Okay, little did little did I know, but she had left little notes saying I knew someday you'd come looking for me. Turns out I also found out. Yeah, I also found she's very, very young. Uh, I want to say 16 at the time that she was pregnant with me um, and left these little notes. It was a very hard decision. But long story short, um, I actually ended up inviting her her two parents over to my house with my adoptive parents as an adult somewhere around about 34 35 to come together and actually got a chance to meet them and introduce everybody. Not everybody has that story. Okay. So that's why this could be forever because this is a totally unique story. I mean, my own adoptive mother um, is, was always so triggered with my curiosity around my own adoption because she doesn't, she doesn't get that, you know, she was dropped on a doorstep in the forties. So um, the small amount of information left behind for me isn't available to her. And other families sometimes don't collaborate or function as well. Um, so it's a totally unique experience to me. But after I was connected with her, then yes, I started to have questions about my own birth father, right? Which she had a little bit of information to provide me. So there again, I had uh, a family member who was able to say, here's what I can share so that I could cooperate, you know, some of the people that I might bump into on Ancestry.com. I think Ancestry is an amazing tool. And since I have been on there, I have met two biological half brothers. Wow. I have met three aunts. I have wow. met a grandmother. Um, I even, okay, and I'm not going to give up her name, but connected with a gal on LinkedIn who turns out we are cousins. Now, I am not 100% sure that we are just cousins because sometimes they can be off by a few points, but. I saw that we were uh, uh, connected on LinkedIn. I said, oh my gosh, I recognize her face. I went to my Ancestry.com. Boop, she's my cousin. Wow. I reached out and said, why didn't you say anything? I'm like, you're gorgeous. Come on. <laughs> Join the family. And, and, <laughs> and, and at that point, because I had done the laywork, right, and was able to connect with family both off and on, Ancestry.com, I actually had an entire family tree with pictures and names dating all the way back to the mid uh, 1800s. Uh, I, we have pictures of uh, our great, 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 great grandfather from slavery. Okay? I was able to connect her to that and those people and, of course, at her pace. Um, but that piece of, of history, that story 
right? I was able to share. And it was like, she was crying while we were on the phone while I was telling her. And I was like, geez, it's, it's the same reaction I had when I was able to hear some of these stories and I got to pass it on, you know, what, who would have thought that at some point I would have a piece of family history, not only as an adoptee, but a black woman in America to pass on. So it was, it it was a privilege. And I think Ancestry is awesome. Have you guys ever tried it? Well, you know, just for transparency, um, I wasn't adopted. I was just abandoned. Our, my biological father didn't want to do anything with my mother and yeah. me. But in 2020, I found my biological dad, <gasps> three three biological brothers and an older biological sister who lives in Orlando. Whoa. And we, we've been inseparable ever How since. How uh, All my I was. I spent the last weekend was with my baby, my youngest biological brother. It was all because of ancestry. Yes! And and a cousin, I put it in there, and the cousin, uh, she's like, how are you at the top of our tree and no one knows you? <laughs> That's the first thing she said in our email. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know any of you people. Right. Like, I'm here now. Just, so that's, that's another <laughs> right, episode. Right. But, <laughs> yes. Yes. What, a, what so an amazing a journey. Thing. And it just, once you open up yeah. that Pandora's box, right? That's kind of how I, my, um, my adopted mother, my mother explained it to me. If I open up Pandora's box, darn right, I'm going to open up Pandora's box. Yeah. I'm going to go swimming in it. That's right. It's around That's there. Right. That's right. Okay. And then I'm going to bring out buckets <laughs> for other people. We're good. It's fine. We got this. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, so he, yes. He, here's the part of the show, Tasha. It's bittersweet for us because you know we always enjoy talking and meeting new people, uh, but all good things have to transition on. So this, this is the final four uh, questions set of questions. So we have a bank sure. of questions that we uh, pull oh from, and so when I think back about what we've discussed, your journey, the question I want to ask you first. Let's see here. Uh, what's the biggest risk you ever took? I've got a couple of those. Okay. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Questions. I love this. Okay. This and trivia. I'm down. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Um, okay. So the biggest risk I took. Now, I've taken a few, but the most recent one would be moving myself and my three young kiddos across country mm. post-COVID. Mm smack dab in the middle of inflation. Mm. It was one of those things where I had really only planned a few months out. That's all I could do. I think that's all anybody can do, right? You you have a large plan, you have some goals, but you just kind of feel led to go do it. And I felt like the timing was right. You know, if I take my older kiddos there, um, they have time to make friends before they hit middle or high school. And my little hasn't started yet. So look, if she starts school, she can start where she's going to end it. It's like the time is now, right? Time's now. Time to sell your house. Now, why would the universe tell me it was time to sell my house at the beginning of the bubble in 2022? But it was time. So I left. I left before the house was even sold, guys. Wow. And literally sold everything but a little pod, okay? The cheapest one that I could get, mm-hmm. all right? And I basically told the kids, it doesn't fit, it doesn't go. Mm-hmm. So maybe your bike doesn't come, but your bed does. So let's let's do this. Yeah. Right. And, and, <laughs> and just said, that's it. We're putting it all there and we're, we're meant to go and we're going to go. And um, the, the best advice I got from a friend of mine who had just moved her family down to Naples a year prior said, look, you can have all sorts of thoughts about this, but truth is, if it doesn't work out, you could just go back. 
you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's always another stepping stone. It'll show up right at the 11th hour when you, when you least believe it. And so sure enough, I took off on a road trip. I uh, kidnapped my mother from my dad. I said, I might send her back in a few months or so, but she's coming with me. Okay. You want her back. You know where to find her. And I kidnapped her and I put her in the car and I had all all, uh, three of the kiddos, my mom and I in a car. Now, wouldn't you know it? The car tanked on the way down somewhere uh, within Indy, right? Uh, Like five and a half hours in. Okay. We were like, la la la, great trip. Boom. I start to feel like we were losing gas and there was a turnoff right there. So I got off, ended up having to replace my car in Indy. But if there's any place you want to replace your car, it's indeed. Okay. So, uh, right, right. Like if there's if there's anywhere the, the, the amount of dealerships right, right. and they were wonderful. Right, I was like, right. if there's anywhere, like, thank you, right, thank right. you for killing my transmission this here. Is meant this, is <laughs> this is meant to be. This is meant to be. The choices are endless. Right. I love that. So it, it was it was fantastic. It was you know it was a week long road trip. It lasted a little bit longer than I thought it would, and the bigger part was getting down here. But okay. Um, but yeah, I'd say the biggest risk was putting my fam in the car, selling stuff and deciding, let's go, All right. let's, let's create a new life. Let's do this. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, here's one. What's one thing most people don't know about you that you wish they did? Ooh, this is a, this is a tough one. I'm glad this is part of your, your four. Okay. This is a tough one. Um, it probably doesn't come out this way in in on this platform in a podcast which this is the first one i've done by the way guys and oh thanks thanks (laughs) and and you wouldn't know it because i spend so much time talking about such serious issues right social impact change um the the tough spots of communication and hard uh, conversations i do so much work in that space that i think the one thing that I would like people to know about me that isn't always evident is that I'm fun. I'm just, I'm just fun, guys. <laughs> I like to have fun. Yeah. I like to go places that are fun. I need more fun in my life. <laughs> like if, if there's one thing that I wish people knew, right? Because right, right now, just getting to know even friends down here, a lot of it's work, a lot of it's uh, school exchanges, other parents, um, you know, so they don't get to see that part of me. So I'm just over here, like having fun, just me with me. But I'm fun. I would like people to know that. Tell the people. All right. Tell the others. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hear ye, hear ye. Let everyone <laughs> hear me. Thanks, Drake. <laughs> okay, next question. Um, let's see here. What's something that you wish you were better at? Ooh. <laughs> I know that right up front. I don't even need to take time. I wish I was more patient. Ah. Okay? Patience. Okay. Uh, I am... Like you said, yes, I don't back down from challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am brave. I can even be a little bit competitive sometimes. Mm -hmm. But patience. When I am waiting on timing, timing and I have an odd relationship. And it isn't isn't always um, uh, me allowing it. So if there was one thing that I could change, it would be patient and patience. And it's because I know that timing does work in my favor. Mm. So I am very heavily working on my ability to be patient, patient with people, with life, with work. Um, you know, I, I think that that is something that I've been spending time on. So, yeah, I wish I was better at that. Okay. Love it. 
Awesome. So the final, final, the last question is, who is the person, alive or dead, that you would trade places with for a day? Oh, my gosh. I already mentioned this. Uh, Oprah. Hello. (laughs) Oprah. Oprah. Okay. And here's why. Here's why. Like, is it is it kind of taboo and cliche? Like, maybe. I don't know. Or people are like, I don't want to trade places. She's got a lot to do. Yes, she does. But the amount of people that she has had the opportunity to meet, Mm. the amount of brains that she's picked, the amount of wisdom that she has been able to intercept and translate for other people. Like if I could just be in her body for a day just to have her neurons and get a get a taste of what having all of that knowledge and information feels like mm. or how it changes how you move within the world. You know, I mean, yeah, like she's super rich. That, that helps. <laughs> I know. That's what I know. Right, right, right. But the, the bigger part is is the amount of uh, connection she's been able to do with people and, and what that looks like and how that would translate into how I might move differently within the world just for a day. Love it. Just for a day. Love it. Yeah. Well, Tasha, I want to tell you, you 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 are remarkable. I I think the I think the stars align when I just happened to pick your table to sit yes. at. I was telling Dre, out of out of all of us who are on the board, we saw the tables and we were encouraged to speak, not to sit with each other, to sit with the people who were coming. And I just happened to sit at, sit at your table, and and for you to be to honor us with you being the first podcast guest on our on a, a podcast ever. Uh-huh. We really appreciate that. And thanks for your authenticity. Always. Thanks for your honesty. And and I, I'm eager to read your words because I'm just, I wish we, like Drake said, it's it's bittersweet to come to an end because sometimes we have guests where we think we could talk two, three hours yes. where there's so many spinoff topics. So thank you again, Tasha, for yeah. being on oh, the show. Oh, absolutely. You guys were great hosts. So welcoming. I love the vibe on your show. I had an opportunity to listen to a few others before I came on to. So I appreciate and respect what you guys are doing. What you're doing takes brave. Okay. It takes courage and a little bit of braveness there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. thank you to you guys for having me on. I had a great time and I did appreciate this as well. It was a blast. Thanks again. Yeah. All right.